Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode is going to be rather usual, but I'm not going to be covering anything that happened from last week. I know I got a little bit behind. I have been working through a lot of midterms. Obviously, school comes first. Got to take care of all of that, but I've got most of that out of the way for now. Find a little time in my Thursday night slot here to get some content out for you guys. I'm not going to be covering any of the games that happened in week eight because at this point, it just feels like too little too late. Happened too long ago, but this past week was the trade deadline. There were some big moves. I'm going to talk about all those. I'm also going to be talking about Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler getting fired from the Raiders organization. Finally, I'm going to finish this episode off with talking about three of my favorite games from this upcoming weekend, some of the odds, some of the implications, and what they mean going forward. Also, before I get into this episode, I just want to say I'm really excited about the future of this podcast and of this, I guess, just project as a whole because it's going to be becoming a lot more than just a podcast here shortly. I know a lot of you guys don't have the time of your day to listen to an entire 45-minute episode, sometimes even up to an hour. If you do listen to these, I appreciate the hell out of you, but I know... People's schedules are really busy and in this, you know, media driven world, a lot more people are just interested in short segments that they can consume instantly. I completely understand that. So with all that being said, I'm going to be getting a lot more involved on campus here at UCSB and I'm going to be involving a lot more just different people and students and I'm hoping to make this just more broad and accessible to a lot more different people. So with all that being said, I'm hoping by next week, I'm going to be getting my YouTube channel going. I'm going to be getting Instagram reels up on my Instagram. So if you don't already follow me, be sure to go follow me over at Murphy's League. And I'm going to be doing that by interacting with students on campus. So I'm actually going to be sitting at a table. I'm going to have two microphones, one for me, one for the guest appearance. It's going to be pretty much random. Obviously, if you want to come through and make an appearance, if you've got takes or I'm thinking about doing like hot takes or trivia or something along those lines. I don't really know the exact format yet, but I'm going to figure that all out in the next coming week or so. I'm hoping by next week that's all going to be good to go. Um, Again, I don't know the entire process of it. I'm still learning on the fly, so bear with me here if the timeline doesn't line up exactly. But either way, I'm looking to get students on campus more involved and just make this more of a community where more people, you know, don't just want to engage just for the sake of you know supporting me and my channel but it's something they actually look forward to and can actually you know mark down on a calendar and say like oh murphy's league is on campus this week let's go interact with them let's go give them our takes yada 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 i really don't know the exact content of it but it should be really fun if you do see me on campus be sure to stop by say what up even if it's literally just like uh what do you have going for this week whatever if you just want to stop by and just give me a word or two absolutely i would love to talk to you love love everything about sports obviously we know this podcast is more focused on the nfl some nba content sprinkled in there as well so i again i don't know the specifics of it yet but i'm hoping to get you guys more involved and make this more of a community another giveaway is probably going to be happening here soon especially if this does you know grow to the level that i hope it can um so i'm really looking forward to it and let's get into this episode guys guys so first things first like i mentioned in the intro we're going to be going over all the biggest moves that happened during the trade deadline it was 
just a few days ago, actually two days ago to be exact, on Halloween, and we did see a few really notable moves. I think the biggest of which has to be the Chase Young move. Chase Young going from the Washington Commanders to the San Francisco 49ers, and I've got to say, they just can't keep getting away with this from the 49ers perspective. I mean, if you know me, you should know already. I love this move. It just way makes far too much sense from the Niners point of view. Um, I also want to say this is a similar level of fleece as the Eagles and the Titans. The fact that the Niners have gotten Trent Williams and Chase Young from the commanders and between those two caliber players, the only thing they had to give up was two third round picks and a fifth rounder. I mean, just from a baseline looking at from above, what like how is that even possible the fact that they've gotten you know chase young who granted he has had some injuries he's definitely had some ups and downs to start his career and he's currently not under contract for next year which definitely does play into him being you know a little bit undervalued and only going for a thread round pick but regardless that's going to be a really late pick because the niners you know we expect them to make it into the playoffs possibly even deep into the playoffs and the fact that they got someone of his caliber and then also an all pro level player in Trent Williams from the same organization again just for two third round picks and a fifth rounder is absolutely insane and on a more you know baseline level the Niners identity has always been through their defensive line this is a unit that was already immensely talented and they've you know been adding talent um, not only from this offseason but in years past in the draft you know we've seen guys come in and out of there obviously Nick Bosa taken second overall they invested in guys like Solomon Thomas in years past Eric Armstead DeForest Buckner you know we've seen this continuously year in year out Javon Kinlaw another guy that was drafted very highly for the San Francisco 49ers again it's a clear emphasis of this team and they're constantly trying to get better in that area even signing guys like you know Cleveland Farrell bringing in a guy like Randy Gregory halfway through the season and now you know signed Javon Hargrave last offseason now bringing in Chase Young it's truly incredible the amount of depth they've accumulated along their defensive line and it's just crazy to me that they they were able to do this the only caveat again is that Chase Young isn't under contract next year but I really don't think it matters too much from the Niners point of view because you don't necessarily have to pay him. In fact, they probably won't because I don't know if they're going to be able to afford him. Again, it depends on if he takes a team-friendly contract and where his mind's at and if he you know, wants to be in an environment where he's around a lot of other guys that can you know, possibly bring him to the promised land and bring him a ring. Maybe he decides to take a little bit of a discounted deal. But again, even if he doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter because this is an all-in win-now move. Chase Young, an immensely talented player. And again, it makes it not as big of a deal, especially with all the capital they already have in next year's draft, to give up a third round compensatory pick. And they still have two other third round picks to work with. It's just incredible. I mean, if you just look at the compensation they have, excuse me, um, for the draft next year, it's incredible. They have 11 picks still, one in round one, one second round pick, two in the third round still even after this trade, two in the fourth round, one in the fifth, two in the sixth, two in the seventh. So again, an accumulation of picks and you know how I feel about the draft process. I don't think it's necessarily about draft position. Obviously it helps if you're a higher position, the likelihood of you landing a star player is higher, but my philosophy in the draft is just, especially when you're a team that's maybe not necessarily 
I mean, rebuilding is, you always want as many picks as you can get, but San Francisco is not a team that's rebuilding, and they still have this philosophy where they just want to mount as many draft picks as possible because, again, we know how often it happens that draft picks just don't work out, and we also know how often late-round draft picks end up working out. So with all that being said, it really is just a crapshoot. The NFL draft is very unpredictable. It's what makes it so entertaining, and it's also you know why we see guys like Puka Nakua in the fifth round have an immense impact immediately and for those reasons I think it's so important that you just get a plethora of picks as many as you possibly can because it's essentially a lottery ticket the more lottery tickets you have the higher percentage that one of those tickets is going to end up hitting so I absolutely love this draft strategy from the San Francisco 49ers again just a very very well-run organization and they're it's incredible it, it truly is incredible it, I mean it does make somewhat sense from the commander side i really thought that they were going to pay at least one of these guys between chase young and montez sweat they're both now on the move but i also get it to a certain extent because you're saving a lot of money in the future obviously it's not an immediate saving of this money because again neither one of those guys were under contract for next year but now in theory you don't have to pay them and that money can go to places like the offensive line which I hope to God they address because I really do think Sam Howell can be a serious guy in this league, a serious leader, a serious franchise quarterback, but he needs more help than he has, especially along the offensive line. He is easily the most sacked quarterback in the league and on pace to absolutely shatter the single season record for sacks allowed. So from that perspective, I do kind of understand, but it is rather remarkable that maybe not remarkable is the right word, but it is kind of mind-boggling that a guy that went second overall with as high of a ceiling as he has, and he still has that very high ceiling. Chase Young is still a very high upside player. Again, has had some injuries, hasn't always brought it together, and, you know, consistently, but the fact that they got, or excuse me, they only had to give up a third-round pick to get someone of that caliber, a really, really good pickup for the San Francisco 49ers. Again, I understand it a little bit from the Washington Commanders' point of view, but I really did think they were going to pay at least one of these guys in Chase Young or Montez Sweat. Montez was dealt first, so that kind of told me, okay, Chase Young might be part of their long-term plans. Apparently, neither one of them are. And again, just a really, really good move from the San Francisco 49ers. Again, not quite as good of a player for Montez Sweat, but for the value and what you're giving up for him, it's just such immense value for the San Francisco 49ers. And again, it's not like in the Bears sense, again, I'm going to, I'm obviously going to talk about Montez Sweat in this segment. So there's a little bit of crossover because of course they're coming from the same team. They play the same position. Um, but Montez, the fact that Montez was given up for a second round pick from the Bears, that's going to be a very, very, very high pick. That's going to be like low 30s, you know, maybe even the first pick of the second round depending on you know how the bears finish off their season whereas the san francisco 49ers got a player maybe not quite the same caliber as montez sweat um just as far as consistency because montez you know hasn't dealt with some of the injuries that chase has and he's just been a little bit more consistent throughout his career but the fact is that pick's probably going to be you know in the 80s in the 90s if they make a deep playoff run so from a compensation standpoint the bears massively overpaid for montez sweat so let's shift to that really quick because this is the most bears bullshit in the world and it's eerily similar to what they did last year at the deadline they got really really desperate and they absolutely overpaid for someone of montez sweat's caliber don't get me wrong i think montez sweat's a really good player and obviously it's a really big hole 
in our defense in our roster as a whole we have absolutely no pass rush we're dead last in sacks dead last in pressure rate so it was an absolute you know need for this team but just from a team building perspective i don't really think it's the right way to do it again last year our biggest weakness was receiver we ended up overpaying and you know trading the 32nd overall pick because miami didn't have their pick so normally 32nd would be the last pick in the first round but by technicality 32nd was the first pick in the second round this year um this past year excuse me and again it just didn't end up working out at all obviously only got a seventh round pick in return from him it was a really really bad move in perspective i don't think this montez sweat move is going to be as bad as this one looking back on it but the mere fact is is that um i just think thinking bigger picture why the hell are the chicago bears buyers at the deadline it makes no sense this is not how you build a team and it really seems like ryan poles is doing his best to get fired i've liked some of the moves he's made and i was been i was really hopeful about some of the things he did you know trading out of the number one overall pick and getting all that compensation loved it absolutely loved it but then you know making moves like drafting certain players ahead of other guys i won't get into the specifics of that but i didn't really love that you guys know me i wasn't too high on tyreek stevenson didn't love that move he's been all right but it's just little things like that you know paying off by a linebackers top tier money and starting that rather than paying you know guys like a javon hargrave or a deron Payne or guys of that caliber again it just feels like the improper way to build a team and it feels like for the second year in a row, I don't understand why we're buying at the trade deadline. This is not a team that's in a win now mode. This is not a team that's making a shot at the playoffs. You know, definitely not taking a shot at the Super Bowl. So I just don't get why instead of selling guys and trying to get value for someone like a Jalen Johnson, who again is more than likely going to walk in free agency now, because why wouldn't he? We're not a good organization. And I don't know why you'd want to stick with us in the first place, unless we're going to dramatically overpay him. Um, we're buying guys and we're acting like we're going to win now. And this is going to be the difference maker. And again, it just puts us in a really weird bind where Overall, Montez Sweat is a great player. This isn't a knock on Montez. I'm not mad that the Chicago Bears have Montez Sweat on their roster. I'm mad what they had to give up to go get him. And now they're going to have to overcompensate for him because he has every ounce of leverage on the negotiation table. We're going to have to extend this guy. The front office already came forward and said they're very confident they're going to get a deal done. And my immediate reaction to that was, yeah, no shit. We don't have a choice. We have to get a deal done. We just gave up a pick in the 30s, a very, very high value pick that could end up being a really good player. A lot of the times those guys are really good players. And we're not just going to let someone um, who we gave up that high of a draft round pick for just walk in free agency. It's just not going to happen. We basically have no choice but to pay him. So when the player knows that when the agent knows that they're going to milk that they're going to get the absolute most that they can out of this team and i guarantee you you know i don't know when it's going to happen but sooner rather than later here you're going to see contract extension reach with between the bears and the montez sweat and it's going to be a very very big number i promise you that probably too much again montez sweat good player this isn't a, t a knock on montez at all because he is fantastic it's an absolute knock on the bears and their front office i just don't get it from a team building perspective it feels like the wrong way to build the team i'm glad we addressed a position of need and we needed pass rush we needed run defense montez sweat a really really good run defender kind of a secondary pass rush guy his stats are a little bit inflated in that regard but don't get me wrong still good at rushing the passer but again i just don't really understand 
why we'd make a move like this when we're in the scenario that we are. And again, from the commander's point of view, that's an absolute W. I mean, getting that kind of conversation for someone who I thought they were probably going to pay, but I understand why they don't. I think they need to go help their young quarterback. I think they want their young quarterback to prove to them that he is their guy, and I definitely think he can be their guy. Getting a pick in the early 30s for someone of Montez Sweat's caliber, love it, right? He's going to walk anyways if you don't reach a long-term extension. Absolutely love getting a second-round pick from him, and it makes a ton of sense from the commander's point of view. Really, really good uh, trade for the commanders in this case. Much better than the Chase Young one, in my opinion. But of course... It's the Bears. We do fucking stupid shit. Yet again, second year in a row at the trade deadline. We did some really dumb shit. Okay, these next few ones I'm not going to get into as much detail about. Obviously, I just got on a little bit of a tangent there. But those were the biggest moves from the trade deadline. Let's get into some of these smaller ones. Easily the third biggest move, though. Spend a little bit more time on this one as well. Leonard Williams going from the New York Giants to the Seattle Seahawks. Honestly, I really like this move for both sides. Again, another guy that's going to be a free agent after this year doesn't have a long-term contract extension. And the Seahawks, I don't mind that they gave up a second-round pick for him because this is, unlike the Montez Sweat deal, it's a not-as-valuable second-round pick, and that definitely does matter just in terms of draft position because as of right now, we fully expect the Seattle Seahawks to make the playoffs. This is their window. They're going all-in on this year, so giving up a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick next year, which, again, fifth-round picks next year, that basically doesn't even matter. Obviously, it does matter to some extent, but it's that's not as nearly as significant. That's really not too bad for someone of Leonard Williams caliber and it makes total sense from that point of view Um, they've got really really good depth along the interior defensive line now obviously they invested in Draymond Jones this past offseason they also have Jaron Reed there now adding someone like Leonard Williams who Pete Carroll obviously a USC guy himself is very very familiar with it makes a lot of sense and their D-line is just honestly really deep now they've re-signed Frank Clark last week traded for Trent or not Trent Williams traded for Leonard Williams this week and their D-line even with Anjana Nwosu out for the year still has great depth love Boye Mafe he has really been breaking out for them this past year really like Daryl Taylor he's pretty underrated off the edge himself and then they have guys like a Derek Hall a rookie who you expect to only get better as this year goes on and then those three guys along the interior that I just listed off really really solid guys there as well uh, the only slight knock to on you know from the Seattle point of view is kind of similar to what I said about the Bears, where more than likely you have to pay him now. I don't know if you want to give up a second round pick just to let a guy walk, but it's not quite as dire as the Bears because again, just given draft position and where this pick is going to end up being, it's probably going to be in the late 50s. So it's not as bad because you know especially if he ultimately helps you win the division and take the NFC West from the San Francisco 49ers, you know, then it kind of pays off as a move and it's just an all-in move this year to open up your Super Bowl window. If you do end up making a deep playoff run or possibly even win the whole thing, then you don't necessarily have to pay him. The investment was already worth it. That second round pick, you know, was granted for that year and then you got the most that you could have out of it. So again, it's not that bad. It's not nearly as bad as the Bears one, but the slight knock is that you're putting a little bit of a bind here where you, you kind of have to pay him, but again, not nearly as bad as Chicago Bears. And from the Giants' perspective, it just makes total sense. Getting what you can for a guy that's going to be a free agent in a year and probably not part of the long-term plans anyways because, frankly, 
this team is about to enter a rebuild again unfortunately they're not winning anything this year they're two and six their quarterback is dealing with some injuries they've had a ton of turmoil just within their team and within their organization so completely understand it from the giants point of view and i think it's a w for both sides frankly up next let's talk about rasul douglas really quickly he <clears throat> again just a move that makes a lot of sense for the buffalo bills they've had a lot of injuries not only in their defense but in their secondary in particularly trey white obviously one of the premier corners in the national football league been a little bit inconsistent but he's dealt with a lot of injuries he's out for the year with a torn achilles so addressing a position of need also worth mentioning that Kyrie elam their first round draft pick from a couple years ago has not been seeing the field too much because frankly he's just been struggling it's not a problem of health um Actually, it does sound like it's a little bit of a problem of health as well. But even when he is on the field, he hasn't been playing very well at all. So before this, I mentioned that they're probably going to be in the market for a cornerback. I was hoping that they would get a guy like Jalen Johnson and give the Bears some draft compensation in the process. Instead, they've, you know, take the route of Rasul Douglas, a veteran in this league, 29 years old, was on the Green Bay Packers for three years. And honestly, he was really productive with his time there in Green Bay. The past three seasons, he had 10 interceptions. Two of those went for pick sixes. 32 pass breakups in 36 games. Those are really, really solid numbers. And again, just makes total sense from a need point of view. Makes sense from the Packers point of view. They got a third round pick in return from him. For him, excuse me. And again, the Packers kind of in a slimmer boat where this doesn't look like it's going to be their year. Not that they're necessarily in a true rebuild because they're a very young team. They're kind of already in the process of a rebuild. Um, obviously with the best player in their franchise's history, at least one of them departing this past year, that's going to happen most of the time. But it, again, just makes total sense from both sides. Packers not going and going to do much this year and the bills needed to address their secondary. Two more guys I want to mention quickly before I get into my week nine preview or sorry, before I get into the firing of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, can't forget about that. Um, are Donovan Peoples Jones, Going to the Detroit Lions from the Cleveland Browns. Absolutely love the upside as a deep threat in this offense. Again, Jamison Williams, even coming back from suspension, has just been very inconsistent. He was supposed to be the deep threat in this offense. And beyond Amara St. Brown, Josh Reynolds has had some good moments, but they just don't have too much depth there in the wide receiver room. So getting a field stretcher like Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's had some really, really great moments in the league. Again, a guy that's dealt with some inconsistencies, but still, he's going to have a very clear and defined role in this offense, and that is going to be the vertical deep threat, deep threat, you know, field stretcher for this offense. It makes total sense from that point of view. Absolutely love the move from the Lions' perspective. And then one more that I thought made total sense from both sides as well, Ezra Cleveland going from the Minnesota Vikings to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars have had some, you know, struggles protecting Trevor Lawrence. Ezra, Ezra Cleveland, a guy that is more of known as a run blocker but still has some upside as a pass blocker and honestly has been improving in that asset of his game only going for a six rounder love it from the jaguars point of view thought the vikings could have gotten more back from him but again the vikings now with kirk cousins going down for the year justin jefferson on ir kind of feels like a lost season for them maybe they're not fully going to admit it but just adding draft conversation compensation excuse me and you know getting more lottery tickets as i like to say makes total sense from their point of view so that's going to do it for the trade deadline news. Let's get into Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler being fired. All right, so more news from Halloween Day. 
Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have both been fired from the Raiders organization. And let me just say it, with Raiders fans, finally. Let's be honest, this franchise has not been very well run. Kind of like the Bears, it all starts from the top. Mark Davis has to be responsible for a lot of it because at the end of the day, he is the person making decisions about who's being hired, who's being let go. But in a more immediate sense, it was definitely the right move. Ziegler and McDaniels were both from the Patriots, if you didn't know. Obviously, I think most people already know this by now, Josh McDaniels was the OC for the Patriots for a long time there. Um, I think 10 years total. And Ziegler was the player of personnel. Or sorry, in charge of player personnel. But even on a more, you know, broad standpoint, that really doesn't matter too much if you're part of the Patriots organization and running, you know, in charge of their player personnel because let's be honest, Bill Belichick is basically the GM there. He basically makes all the decisions on draft day. So... Again, take that with a grain of salt. Take that as you will. But in this span, yes, they had Josh Jacobs run for a league-leading 1,600-plus yards. Devontae Adams also had a 1,500-yard season and led the NFL in receiving touchdowns with 14. But don't forget, they went 6-11 and 11 in that time, so it really resulted in nothing. It's purely empty stats. And don't forget, this team made the playoffs in 2021, the year before Josh McDaniels was hired. They rallied late. Obviously, there was a lot of turmoil early in that year with John Gruden and the whole email scandal. He got fired while that team was 3-2, and two, if I'm not mistaken. And then Rich Bisaccia came in, led them to a 7-5 and five record, took them to the playoffs. They actually had a really, really great game with Cincinnati in Cincinnati, if you remember that game. Um, Jermaine Pratt had the interception at the end of the game to seal it for the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, Cincinnati ended up going on to the Super Bowl, ultimately lost. But the point is, Rich Bisaccia was a very big part of the success of the Raiders. And if you listen to my podcast back then, you know that I was <laughs> pounding the table for the Raiders to keep Rich Bisaccia. When you have something going that well and you kind of caught lightning in a bottle, you don't just throw it out. Rich Bisaccia was doing a great job leading these guys. It was very clear that the guys really, really liked him. And they ended up going for Josh McDaniels, who has done absolutely nothing at his time as a head coach. Obviously, a previous tenure with the Denver Broncos, which didn't last two years as well. Exact same storyline here in the Raiders organization. So again, history repeats itself. Definitely could have seen that one coming. Not saying that if they did keep Rich Bisaccia, it would have been all sunshines and rainbows and it would have worked out. I'm just saying I don't really understand the logic from the beginning as to why Rich Bisaccia wasn't at least given the opportunity to continue coaching this team because, again, he led him to the playoffs even with all the distractions around this team involving John Gruden. Um, but nevertheless, they chose to let him walk. Instead, signing McDaniel and Ziegler that offseason. Since then, which is January 2022, was when those guys were hired. They extended Derek Carr to a three-year, $120 million deal. He went on to, you know, not have too great of a year, <laughs> led the league in interceptions. I think a lot of that wasn't, you know, entirely his fault. They brought in Devontae Adams and signed him to a mega contract extension, traded a bunch of compensation to go get him, signed him to that extension because he wanted to play with his really good friend and college quarterback, Derek Carr. You have since then basically ruined the relationship with Devontae Adams by releasing Derek Carr um, <laughs> a calendar year later. I think it was even less than a calendar year later, technically. Then gave Jimmy Garoppolo a three-year, $73 million deal, who, if you again, if you know me, you know this podcast, you know my opinion about Jimmy Garoppolo. That was a clear downgrade. Hated the move when they did it. Thought it made absolutely no sense 
whatsoever. And now the ripple effects are just being felt continuously. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, has had some injuries this year, but even when he was playing and is playing, he has not been very good at all. He's now been benched in favor of Aiden O'Connell, which is just crazy to think about. Um, and again, just from a statistical standpoint, last year their offense was 12th in both scoring and yards. This year, they're 30th in scoring, 31st in yards. So not a good look at all. Just a really dysfunctional organization that's making a lot of dysfunctional moves between signing Jimmy Garoppolo, which they never should have done. Again, Derek Carr not having a great year, but just the mere fact that you brought in a guy like Devontae Adams on the basis that he was going to be catching passes from Derek Carr. And now... You pretty much ruined that relationship and it's very much public that Devontae Adams is extremely frustrated with his usage and with the coaching staff. Now those guys are gone. You're bringing in an interim head coach that was your linebackers coach who has done practically nothing to prove himself as an NFL head coach. Not only did he not do well with his time at Arizona State, but he also didn't even do well at the high school level. So again, just not really seeing it from the Raiders point of view and obviously you can always look back at your decisions in hindsight and say like well that was a bad decision but this isn't even hindsight these were decisions being made that in the moment you know guys like me sitting on a couch watching this happen live in action you know reading the notifications on my phone or whatever it was was sitting here thinking like wow that's a stupid stupid move so again I'm not a Raiders hater I'm always wishing the best for every single organization but they've just shot themselves in the foot many of times and this is no different I again in the right now it's the right move to get rid of McDaniels and Ziegler because they made some horrid moves in their tenure there but just from a more broad point of view my point is this organization has been making dysfunctional decisions and it all starts at the top does that sound familiar because to Bears fans it fucking should but with all that being said, let's get into my week nine preview because there are three matchups in particular that I really want to highlight this week. I think they're going to be super, super fun and let's get into them. All right, guys. So let's get into my three favorite matchups from this weekend. I'm going to be talking about some stats, some betting lines, going to give you all, you know, the most relevant information you guys need to know for these matchups. But let's go to the Deutschland for the first game. The Chiefs and the Dolphins are facing off in Germany. Those German fans are really lucky that they get to see two of you know the highest flying offenses in the league show out. It's unfortunately 6.30 in the morning West Coast time, so I probably won't be watching this game for obvious reasons. But first and foremost, obviously, got to start with Tyreek Hill. Revenge game for him. Already come out and said that they're going to see it all. He's going to show out given the most that they can. Um, Chiefs are coming off possibly the most embarrassing loss of the Mahomes tenure. I think it, I don't even think it possibly is. It definitely is the most embarrassing loss of the Mahomes tenure, putting up a measly nine points to the Denver Broncos. I want to give some credit to the Broncos because their defense has steadily been improving. Vance Joseph has really heard a lot of the criticisms, especially after, you know, getting 70 dropped on his head. Uh, he's made a lot of improvements in that regard. Travis, or sorry, not Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes was dealing with a little bit of a flu in that game. So again, there are some excuses to be made out for them, but nevertheless, losing to the Denver Broncos after, you know, beating them continuously for eight years straight, really tough loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. And some interesting stats going into this one, highest over under of the week, no surprises there, 51 points. Uh, but 
Kansas City's games have only hit the over on two out of their eight games. So definitely worth mentioning there. Um, large part because their defense is just playing so well. They're second in passing yards against. They're also second in points allowed. Quietly one of, if not the best defense, especially secondary-wise. Trent McDuffie, Legereus Sneed, Mike Edwards. Those dudes are doing their thing on the back end. They're having incredible years for them. Um, not quite as good against the run. They're 19th in yards against, but still really really productive in the secondary and that's going to be really crucial to slowing down Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tua Tagovailoa and this passing offense as a whole. I think we're going to see Mike McDaniel's take advantage of you know the weakness of this Kansas City defense which is their run defense. I think we're going to get a very healthy dosage of Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson. Um I think Devon Achan is still out, but you know maybe even see some Salvin Ahmed mixed in there. Um, some stats for the Chiefs defenders that are definitely worth mentioning. Drew Chankwill has been a very, very good pickup for them. Really cheap contract. I mentioned it in the offseason preview coming from the Los Angeles Chargers. A little bit of a trader moment, but he's been a great pickup for the Kansas City Chiefs. Leading the team in tackles right now with 47. Uh, Nick Bolton definitely would be up there, but he, he's on IR right now with a wrist injury. If you guys know me, you guys know I fucking love some Nick Bolton. But Drew Chankwill, 47 tackles, 3 tackles for loss three and a half sacks on the year. I'm gonna pause this really quick because there's some noise going on outside. Sorry about that. As I was saying, getting into some of the player stats, George Karloftis, four tackles for loss, six sacks on the year. And then the two stars of this defense, in my opinion, Trent McDuffie and Legereus Sneed, 40 tackles, three forced fumbles, four pass deflections for McDuffie, and then Sneed with 38 tackles, one INT and six pass defended. Again, gonna be really, really critical to this game and if they have a chance of slowing down Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, because as of thus far there's been basically no teams able to slow down Tyreek in particular it's going to be really interesting to see you know what his stat line is looking like at the end of this game because if there's any team that knows Tyreek Hill and his weaknesses and how to slow him down you would think in theory at least it would be the Kansas City Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo or Spagnola I Spagnola Spagnola I think it's Spagnola uh either way Going to be really interesting watching that matchup between the Chiefs defense and Miami's offense. Getting into the Dolphins side of the ball. The Dolphins have been underdogs three times this year, winning just once. So they haven't really, excuse me, beaten a lot of, you know, the upper echelon teams in the league. This could definitely be a statement game for the Miami Dolphins to prove to the rest of the league that they still should be considered serious contenders because frankly, they've fallen short against some of the best competition, obviously being blown out. In Buffalo 48 to 20 and then <clears throat> going into Philadelphia and losing that game by two possessions as well so they obviously have the ability to make a statement here that they are true contenders um, they're still first in basically every single offensive category that includes yards passing and rushing points per game and we know Tyreek Hill is well over a thousand yards already which is just ridiculous leading the league in receiving touchdowns as well. Some notable stats from some of the individual players on defense are Bradley Chubb with five sacks, seven tackles for loss, Javon Holland, who's one of the most versatile safeties in the entirety of the league, probably gonna be matching up a lot against Travis Kelsey in this one. 51 tackles, two tackles for loss, three passes defended, and then Christian Wilkins, their anchor in the middle of the defense along their defensive line. Four tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, two passes deflected. 
Overall, I think I'm going to go against the grain in this one. I really haven't seen the Dolphins beat anyone great yet, like I mentioned previously. And I really like Kansas City to bounce back and cover in this one. If I didn't mention it already, they're two and a half point favorites. I think that's super fair. You know, obviously, betting against Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs is a really hard thing to do. Um, I like Kansas City 27 to 23, so one point under. Again, going against the grain a little bit in this one. I have them, the under hitting, I have Kansas City covering. Um, I just like them to bounce back. I just trust Kansas City too much. I love what their secondary is able to do. I think they're going to be able to slow down Tua and Tyreek and those guys just enough. Again, I do worry a little bit about how they're going to handle the run game of Miami, but I think they do just enough. I love their creativity on defense. And overall, I just trust this team too damn much. You can never count them out. I say it each and every single week, but it's just so damn true. I like Kansas City to win, cover, and probably even the under. The under is definitely the one that I'm feeling the least good about, but but I, I'm feeling decent about Kansas City winning this game. I don't think that the statement game comes from the Dolphins that they're hoping they get out of it. And with all that being said, I like Kansas City to win in this one. Let's talk about Seahawks versus Ravens. Baltimore, five and a half point favorites in this one with an over-under of 43 points. Again, significantly lower than the over-under of the Dolphins-Chief games. Makes a lot of sense. I want to start by talking about both defenses in this matchup. The Ravens are third in passing yards against. They're 12th in rushing yards against and first in points allowed. They have been quite loud at being one of the best defense defenses in the league thus far they're also first in the league in sacks they have you know a ton of those really really crucial stats like third down percentage red zone percentage they're doing very very well in all those really critical you know more analytical categories that a lot of those analytics guys like to look at and it's very predictable and um, what's the word? It carries over very well from game to game. Also, they're one of the best home teams in the entire league, obviously beating the fucking crap out of Detroit a couple weeks ago at home. Um, excuse me. They've been very, very impressive this year. Lamar Jackson at an MVP type of pace. He's been playing out of his mind the entirety of the year. Um, absolutely love what Baltimore has been able to do this year, but Seattle has quietly also had one of the best defenses in the league. They've just been very, very sound. The numbers don't exactly back it up, but they have one of the best cornerback duos in the entirety of the league. Devon Witherspoon, my number one ranked cornerback last year in the draft process. He's been showing out and showing why he was my number one ranked cornerback prospect. He is fantastic. We know how good Tariq Woolen was last year. Started the year off a little slow, but showed out in a lot of big ways against the Browns last week. And then they have the Baltimore Ravens themselves have one of the best linebacker duos in the league between Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith. And honestly, ever since Roquan Smith got there, Patrick Queen has just upped his game to a whole nother level. But don't count out the Seattle Seahawks linebacker duo as well. Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner, two of the best in the game right now. Their stats absolutely back it up. They're incredible. Bobby Wagner aging like absolute fine wine. Obviously, we know what he does from a leadership point of view for this team, and he's very important to this locker room, but the stats still back it up. The dude is fucking incredible. He had like 15 tackles last week, still the highest graded linebacker via PFF, and Jordan Brooks not far behind him there. A guy with, I think he has six tackles for loss up there in the top five for tackles on the season as well this dude is nothing but incredible and their d-line is still young and improving again adding lettered williams really helps in that asset don't know if he's going to be good to go to play this week because that's a very quick turnaround but if he does hey it helps in that aspect but 
you know, even beyond that, I talked about a little bit earlier, but they have a lot of depth along that defensive line as well. Despite losing Nchenu and Wosu, they still have guys like a Darrell Taylor, like a Boye Mafe, who's really breaking out and coming into his own this year. And then it's still young and improving, leading them to be very, very elite against the run all year. In terms of yards per carry, they're first in the league as of now. And I think both teams really have an opportunity to make a statement in this game. Again, I think it really helps the Ravens that they're at home in this one because they are one of the best home teams in the entirety of the NFL. But as far as some betting info, that's definitely worth mentioning if you do want to throw down some bets on this game. The Ravens have only hit their over on three out of their eight games. Seattle, exact same boat, only hit the over on three out of their eight games. Again, kind of telling that their defense is very much... Seattle's is a little bit underwhelming in terms of the stat sheet, but they're very much a bend but don't break type of defense. And the Ravens are just a very much just we're going to break you type of defense. They send a lot of pressure. They blitz a lot. They get home a lot. High risk, high reward, but it works out because they have corners that can play man to man. They can play press. They can jam you at the line. Um, <clears throat> and I think they could give DK Metcalf and company some troubles in that aspect. However, the Ravens are also one and two against the spread as six point or more favorites. Seattle also has been four, two and one against the spread this year. So in conclusion, I think overall i definitely like baltimore to win this game obviously there's a reason why they're five and a half point favorites they're at home in this one and i think they just continue to show the league that they are serious legit contenders in the afc possibly even the biggest threat to the chiefs in the afc as of right now and i think that lamar continues his mvp type of performance this year and I think Baltimore makes another statement. I think they cover in this one, but I also think the under hits. I like both defenses to rally to the ball. I like both defenses to hold strong. And I think Baltimore probably wins by a touchdown, maybe even more. But overall, I think it's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, with an over under of 43. I know the under is a little bit sketchy in this one, but I think both defenses hold strong. I think this is like a 17 to 21 type game, a 14 to 21 type game. One of those things. Uh, where it's fairly low scoring, but Baltimore looks like the better team throughout. Possibly Seattle makes it look closer by the end because they store and score in garbage time, something like that. But more than likely, I'll be taking the under in this game, and I like Baltimore to keep their streak going of looking like a true contender. One last game I want to cover before I finish up this episode. Let's talk about Bengals versus Bills. The Bengals are currently two and a half point favorites at home against the Buffalo Bills. This is the Sunday night game over under of 49 and a half points. I'm not going to get into the, all the analytics and betting side of this game because I'm more focused on the storylines here and what the implications are going forward in terms of, you know, AFC playoff picture seeding uh, Baltimore, excuse me, not Baltimore. Uh, Buffalo obviously on a little bit of a slip and has been pretty dramatically inconsistent this year kind of playing to the level of their quarterback where Josh Allen um, you know just very hit or miss I will say I'm kind of throwing the season stats out the window for this matchup for a couple reasons one because like I just mentioned, the Bills are extremely unpredictable, particularly Josh Allen. He can play like Mitchell Trubisky sometimes. Other times, he can look like a straight-up MVP candidate. He's kind of one of those quarterbacks that plays up to the competition, but also plays down to the competition. And you can definitely not play on a down game against Joe Burrow, because Joe Burrow just... Finally, this is my second reason why I'm throwing the stats, the season stats out the window in this one. Joe Burrow and the Bengals have finally started looking like themselves. It took them five weeks to get into a rhythm and kind of wake up, but 
last week was a perfect example of why Cincinnati can be so dangerous and so dynamic. Not only was their defense making plays against Brock Purdy and turning the ball over against him, but Joe Burrow was precise. He was confident. He was getting the ball out of his hands quickly, and that is when Joe Burrow is the deadliest, when he's looking confident, when he's making the right decisions, and when he's not taking hits back there. He was not always under a lot of pressure last week, but that was because of the game plan. He was getting the ball out quickly. And if you just look at his stats over the past three weeks, it's much more reflective to his play overall than the first five weeks of the season. Sorry, a little bit of noise outside the window, but I'm just going to keep going for it. Sorry if you can hear that bus. But over the past three weeks, Joe Burrow with 262 passing yards per game, eight touchdowns to two interceptions, and a 78.1 completion rate. That is absolutely phenomenal. He's been surgical with the football for the most part. I expect him to keep this up against the Bills defense, which is fairly beat up right now and still trying to figure out, you know, all the details and nuances of how they're going to get through some of those injuries. Obviously, bringing in a guy like Rasul Douglas helps, but maybe not going to have an immediate impact in this one. Also, defensively, the Bengals have figured something out. I mentioned it earlier. They were turning over the ball against Brock Purdy. They played really, really well against the Seahawks a couple weeks ago at home. I like them to continue to do that. I like them to give Josh Allen some headaches in this game. I, If you know me, you love, I love, you know I love, excuse me, some of the Bengals personnel, not just in any one aspect of their defense, but basically on all levels. I love some of their secondary pieces. Mike Hilton, one of the blessed, blessed, one of the best slot cornerbacks in the entirety of the NFL. Cam Taylor Britt, really, really good young cornerback. DJ Turner, a first rounder for a reason this past year, or second rounder, excuse me for a reason this past year in the NFL draft. And then even this in the linebacker unit, you know, you guys got you got guys like Logan Wilson, who I'm very, very big on, having a really good year for the Cincinnati Bengals himself. Another interception last week against Brock Purdy. And then Trey Hendrickson up front is really the star of the show. He is so disruptive, eight sacks on the year, near the top of the league in the sack totals. And he is just a beast, beast. And overall, I really like Joe Burrow and the boys at home. I think they get it done. I think they cover the spread. Probably not going to be going near the over-under, but I really like the Cincinnati Bengals to pull this one off against the Buffalo Bills. And that's going to do it, guys. I hope you did enjoy this episode. Again, a lot of exciting content coming soon. Going to be getting more involved on campus. Going to be getting this more like a community than rather just me talking to you and venting. I really want to get you guys more involved and have this feeling more of like a cohesive, you know, group where we're all pitching in together. We're all enjoying the content. And I'm really hoping that that'll, you know, help this channel grow because obviously I don't really, if you know me, you know, I really don't do this for the clout. I really don't do this as like, yeah, I've got a podcast and it's got a bunch of followers and it's fucking cool. It's more of like a project builder and it's more of like a resume builder. It's more of just something I can show to future employee employers, excuse me. Uh, but also, you know, on a side note, it'd be fucking cool. It'd be fucking cool if it blow up. It'd be cool if I got a little more following than I have right now because as of right now, it really is just a project. It really is just something to show off to future employers. And I want it to be a little bit more than that. I want it to mean a little bit more to you guys. I want it to mean more than it is to me right now because I love the shit. I enjoy every single moment of it. I love researching sports. I love the NFL. And I want you guys to feel that love, that reciprocation. And yeah, with all that being said, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. Be sure to follow me here on Apple Music or Spotify, wherever you listen to this episode. Follow me over at Murphy's League on Instagram because there's going to be a lot of new, exciting stuff coming soon. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all. Have a great one and peace out.